Welcome to this week's episode of BusinessWise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian philosopher and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. Okay, so this is part two of postulate magic, we decided to call this. I'm not sure um, how well understood this subject of postulates is with the members, and there seems to be a lot of interest in these episodes. So we wanted to do one more episode on it, and then we can leave postulates for a bit. But this is an extremely important fundamental in handling self and others. It is going to be a major monitoring factor in your success in using the Hubbard Management System. Correct use of postulates will guarantee your success. Used incorrectly, you're going to be spinning your wheels endlessly. Now, first of all, clearly understand what a postulate is. Hopefully you've listened to last week's episode, Postulate Magic Part 1. But if you haven't, no matter. You're going to get a ton out of this one. But do go back and catch it if you haven't already. In the meantime, let's review the definition of the term, as Mr. Hubbard uses it here, the term postulate. It is, per Mr. Hubbard, quote, a self-created truth would be simply the consideration generated by self. He goes on to say, well, we just borrow the word which is in seldom use in the English language. We call that postulate. And we mean by postulate self-created truth. He posts something. He puts something up, and that's what a postulate is. He also defines it as a verb here. He says the word postulate means to cause a thinkingness or consideration. It is a specially applied word and is defined as causative thinkingness. L. Ron Hubbard. So we cover this uh, also in great detail in episode one of volume five, the first episode of this year. We called it our New Year's special, a few tips on postulates. So you should try to listen to that one as well, if you haven't already. But the point is that it is causative thinkingness. So if you're operating with that definition, then a postulate isn't something you sequester yourself in a dark room with a few lit candles and you have a pentagram on the floor. It's not something that you got to go through all that rigmarole to formulate. You're formulating them all the time, consciously or not. If it is causative thinkingness, then much of the time when you are causing stuff, there is a postulate behind it. Give me an example. How many times have you balanced a cup of coffee somewhere dumb or done anything dumb, and then the quote inevitable, end quote, happened, and you, you know, somebody knocked it over, made a mess, it's all over the place. And you curse yourself saying, I knew somebody was going to tip over that cup of coffee or trip over that ladder or whatever it is. Or darn it, I just knew we were going to get caught. I knew we would get in trouble, etc., etc. These are postulates. You're making them true. They're causative thinkingness. Sometimes a little less common, <laughs> unless you practice this a bit and get yourself beefed up mentally or spiritually, you know, you know positive things are going to happen and they happen. I knew I would win and you win. I knew she would call me and she called. I knew the next call would be a new customer and, and it happens, et cetera, et cetera. I hate to break it to you, but in your heart of hearts, you already know this. You cause both things, the good and the bad. 
we don't sometimes like to acknowledge our involvement with the bad, but we we know in our heart of hearts that we cause those things. You cause that with causative thinkingness. In other words, a postulate. And you don't want to acknowledge that you caused the spilled coffee tipped over by Joe Clumsy, but you did and you, quote, knew, end quote, what was going to happen the moment you put that cup of coffee on the edge of the desk or wherever you put it. Is that right? You got to watch those postulates. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week in this extraordinary lecture by L. Ron Hubbard entitled Handling Personnel, Part 2. It's dated the 3rd of March, 1972. He's lecturing students on discoveries he's made and how to better establish personnel to perform the functions and duties of their jobs, or as we call them in the Harvard Management System, their posts, which is simply the area of responsibility assigned to them. That's their post. He uses a couple of terms here I want to make sure you don't get lost on. One is the word overt, which is short for the term overt act, and means, per Mr. Hubbard, quote, an intentionally committed harmful act committed in an effort to resolve a problem. So you can probably think of examples of that, times where you maybe took something you shouldn't have because you had a problem and you wanted to solve it and you made a transgression, a moral transgression like that that you regretted, perhaps or uh, not getting enough affinity from my significant other, so I'm going to step out with my old girlfriend, and that somehow doesn't seem right. It's a harmful act. He gives another definition here. Quote, that thing which you do, which you aren't willing to have happen to you. End quote. That's a pretty good definition. I don't like it when people take things from me that don't belong to them, that belong to me. And so that's an overt when it's committed on me, and when I commit it on somebody else, that's an overt act. Or an overt, make it short. Now, you may or may not have observed this, but if you think about it, you will probably observe that person who commits overts on somebody or some organization or something, they are often very critical of those things. They think ill or they imagine that the other person is thinking ill of them or doesn't like them or what have you, right? So. It, uh, there's a lot of things that manifest that go along with an individual committing overt acts. And Mr. Harbour touches on that here, so we're going to get into that in a minute. He also uses the word tone, which means emotional tone. And that's defined as the momentary or continuing emotional state of a person, any of the emotional levels on the tone scale. So the tone scale is a very central concept in Hubbard management and various other things in life. And Mr. Hubbard discovered it's basically the levels of affinity in an individual, and you'll find that they line up on a scale. Affinity being the desire to be close to or away from. That would, of course, be a lack of affinity. Like, I, you know, I don't like New York. I do like New York, as it happens, but some people don't, and they, so they stay away from New York. I met a guy one time on a train platform in Long Island, not 10 miles from New York City, and I was on my way into the city, and we were having a little chat, and he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going into Manhattan. He said, I haven't been there in 30 years. Here's a guy who lives 10 miles away from it, and obviously he doesn't have much affinity, and so doesn't desire to be in the same space as New York City, or Manhattan anyway. So, um, so here's a definition from Mr. Hubbard on tone scale. He says, under affinity, we have the various emotional tones range from the highest to the lowest, and these are, in part, serenity, the highest level. We uh, there are numbers assigned to these tones, by the way, by Mr. Hubbard. They're not somewhat arbitrary, but 
A lot of thought's gone into this system, but serenity, the highest level, is known as tone 40. And then it drops down here. We got enthusiasm. As we proceed downward toward the baser affinities, conservatism, boredom, antagonism, anger, covert hostility. That's the guy that smiles at you while he's stabbing you in the back. That's covert hostility. Fear, grief, apathy. And this is called the tone scale. So that's obviously not the whole tone scale, but it just gives you sort of a sense of it. Then he uses the term airy fairy, which means acting in a manner not based on reality, unrealistic. So, you know, the airy fairy statement that, you know, well, people comment about beauty queens, you know, this is the old adage that, you know, well, what do you want? You know, what, what, what's your purpose? What's your goal? What would you like to see happen? World peace. It's a little airy-fairy in the wrong context. I mean, frankly, nothing wrong with seeking world peace. I mean, I'm working my guts out for it, along with many other rather extraordinary people that I have the uh, good fortune to be associated with. But it can be realistic or it can be unrealistic. And when it's unrealistic, we call it airy-fairy. All right. So we're going to just pick it up. I want to go back two paragraphs earlier in this lecture. From Mr. Albert again, called Handling Personnel Part Two. Date is 3rd of March, 1972. This is where we left off in the last episode. So, this will sound familiar if you listen to the last episode. Otherwise, this may be new for you, but it's very relevant to the rest of this episode. So, I'm just going to review it. He says here, quote, Now remember, tone 40 is the highest level of the tone scale, serenity, serenity of beingness. You've probably not run into a lot of people on that band, it's extremely high tone, but they just know things are going to go right, and they go right. So that's tone 40. Now, while we all strive to head in that direction, we do often, uh, many of us who are working very hard in this management system and so on, we practice tone 40. We actually drill it to attain towards that tone level so that our postulates stick. And that's uh, so you can get higher on the scale here. And you can strive towards Stone 40 through practice. And that's what I want you to think with as we go through here. But anyway, he says, quote, now, of course, Tone 40 isn't yelling. It is simply the degree of intention you can put into some of it. That's the amount of intention. Now, you radiate that intention if your expectancy is good. If your expectancy is bad, your expectancy is critical. If you've got a lot of overts on somebody, something like that and so forth, he has some recognition of this. He senses this, but he might not sense it consciously, but he just knows it doesn't quite communicate. So he's talking here, you as a manager, you as an executive, you as a leader, dealing with your personnel, dealing with your staff. What's your expectancy? Is it that they're going to flub? They're probably going to flub. Is it that they're going to do great? then there are much higher odds that they're going to do great because it's something that you are radiating. Do you understand? And he says, look, don't try to cover it up. If you don't have that expectancy and you try to fake it, the person's going to sense it and it's not going to, it's not going to have the same effect. goes on to say this. Now, your expectancy, you don't necessarily have to be a super saccharine Saccharin is an artificial sweetener. I don't know how much they use it these days, but he says, now your expectancy, you don't necessarily have to be a super saccharin, you know, sweet and all this sort of thing. You don't have to be loud or haughty 
or anything of the sort. It's just the normal action. But your expectancy and what you say and so on can have a fantastic effect. Because it is incredible, you might not want to believe it. So he's warning you. It is incredible when you really get the hang of this and you start learning how to approach people with this tone 40, with this expectancy, with this postulate that they're going to do fantastic or that they're going to wear their hat and do their job and perform well. Well, you have to see it to believe it. He says, it is incredible. You might not want to believe it. So to some degree, you're going to have to take it with, uh, on faith with Mr. Hubbard here. But think about it, because you've probably done this. You know, I'd like you to review your lifetime and just see the times where people have done extremely well around you. Maybe you were in a really good mood. You were pretty high toned at that time. And you said, yes, of course you can borrow the car I'm, or I'm sure you're going to win or, you know, and, and things just go that way. We probably all had this experience to some degree or another. Now the trick is, can you understand the mechanics of it and do this continually or consistently? So he gets into some of the problems. He, he starts, I'm not going to get into reading the exact paragraph because it's, it gets into some things that I don't really want to have to clear up with you right now. But in essence, he's talking about an individual that has some overts on him. And he's saying that this person, quote, thinks I'm very angry with her. And it's rather pathetic and so forth that this is so reversed. It, it isn't even there at all, do you see? It isn't true, but she thinks it's true, and that's enough to make it true as far as she is concerned. What she neglects to notice is that she committed an overt in the line, which is pulling it in. So this individual has committed an overt. Now she's convinced that others are against her, that Mr. Hubbard's against her, that the organization is against her, and then she starts pulling that in. She's getting what she's postulating. So he says, so people can get funny ideas about what you're doing. But that is a negative side of it. See, there's a negative postulate there. Nobody likes me. Nobody believes I can do it. So this might be an attitude that somebody develops within your group because they've committed overts on that group. They've been late. They've covered that up. They've been maybe goofing off when they should be working. These overts are large and small. You know, being rude to a customer, not telling anybody about it. The customer's not coming back. That's an overt. Wouldn't want to have that happen to you. You do it to somebody else, right? So, but listen to what he says. So people can get funny ideas about what you're doing, but that is a negative side of it. You, by running a positive line on it, can overcome that whole thing. Think about that. He's saying, okay, they may have a negative postulate going on, but your positive postulate could overcome that whole thing. That's crazy. That's crazy stuff, right? That's, that's quite a lot of power you got. So, so he says, so when all else seems to be against it, you can still get through. You get through the least effectively when you yourself are sufficiently doubtful of the outcome to have to drop your tone because there's nobody quite as doubtful as an antagonistic person. That's, that's pretty interesting. And, um, can't say that I haven't fallen into this one, where, you know, somebody's messed up, somebody's messed up, you go in there with antagonism, like, listen, you son of a, you know what, you know, I, I, I can't believe that this is, you know, the moment these things, are, words are coming out of your mouth, think about what the postulates are, 
that you're making. This guy's never going to get it right. He's never going to do this. I, I'm going to blast him out of frustration because, well, you being in that tone, that's a long way from tone 40. And so those postulates are not going to impact him favorably because they're not positive postulates. There's doubt. You've created doubt within yourself, and that's going to create doubt within the other person. Well, I certainly don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm petrified now because if I screw up one more time, and I probably will, you, you get where this is all going. Now, I want to remind you, he says, don't be thedy-weedy, don't be airy-fairy. It's not like people don't deserve to get blasted here and there, but think with this, with this knowledge. Because if you're not thinking with the knowledge, you just end up brutalizing everybody and nobody gets anywhere. You know, there's a time and a place for these things. But remember, it's your postulates that are going to influence the outcome. They can override the other guys. So he says, you get through the least effectively when you yourself are sufficiently doubtful of the outcome to have to drop your tone because there's nobody quite as doubtful as an antagonistic person. He's very doubtful. Unless it's an angry person. And the only person more doubtful than an angry person is a person who is afraid. They're full of doubt. They doubt the whole environment. What's going to happen to me now? And you actually can cut through all those emotional tones just by your own beingness. Ever met an individual who just seems to calm the scene like everything's desperate, everyone's flipping out? People are in fear, anger, antagonism, these lower tones. There's doubt, there's doubt, there's doubt. The, the positive postulates are way out the window. And somebody comes in and they just know that things are going to be fine. They're overriding. Those are more powerful. And with their beingness, and you, and you observe that in their beingness, their presence, you know, their space is just different. Why? Because they're tone 40 or they're a lot closer to tone 40. There's no doubt there. They know they're going to pull this off. Okay, this is something that you can practice. This is something you can drill. It's something you should think with as a mechanic because it actually works like this. And he, he draws a connection between this and miracle healing. It's kind of interesting. He says, that would be the mysterious technique. He's talking about faith healing or spiritual healing. He says, one wouldn't quite believe it. Perhaps at some time or another, somebody going along the line on crutches and instead of saying, you poor fellow, how I sympathize with you. If you suddenly said, walk, and he did, you'd probably drop your false teeth, but it can happen. So he's acknowledging the power of faith, of faith healing. What's faith? Tone 40. You know, you're going to get well. Why? <laughs> you are. That's all. And you create a fantastic effect. And you have to remember this, okay? He says you might not believe it. He keeps covering this point. You have to believe in it yourself. You have to know it yourself. You have to remove all doubt yourself because you have that capability. And so he goes on to say this, and to the degree that there's no doubt mixed up in it, and to the degree that you realize that it is easy, that is the total trick. It's the smallness of the effort implied in the largeness of the postulate, not the largeness of the effort and the smallness of the postulate, or the loudness of the postulate, or making the postulate with your neck cords all swollen up. You know, I'm going to make this huge postulate to make this tiny little effect. 
No, I make a light postulate to make this huge effect way more powerful. Then he goes on to say, now we are really talking into the airy fairy land when we're talking about this sort of thing. It has lots of ramifications. It would just be healing on sight, that sort of thing. So, you know, he understands as he's describing all this, how incredible it might be. He even refers to it as, ah, we're kind of getting into an airy-fairy area, but this is truth. The power of postulates. Okay, the power of beingness and presence and being high-toned, okay, and the impact that you can create that way and how you can override other people's more negative postulates and lower-tonedness, okay? And he goes on, he says, now, this is kind of interesting, listen to this. Now, whether it would do that fellow any good to all of a sudden have his body all of a sudden, or whether or not it would throw him into a mental shock and suddenly find out that he was walking and that something had hit him or something had happened to him at that particular time, that's beside the point. It could happen. But listen to what he says. Now, this is not necessarily contrary to the person being causative. Now, remember. Your objective with your staff, your employees, with your partners, with, with anyone really, your children, your spouse, if you are a sane individual, and I presume most of you are who are listening to this podcast, you are not desirous of people being more effect. You're desirous of them being more causative, right? And... um it may seem at first, okay, now look at, I'm making these powerful postulates. I'm being tone 40. I'm being super high toned. I've got this huge beingness. I'm coming into a group and postulating everybody's going to rock and roll and we're going to rock and roll because we just are, you know, and that's, it's a light postulate for big effects and we're rocking. And you're going, well, that big being, whoever that might be, which could have been you, could be you. Don't think it can't be you. But that being, you say, well, now there, he's overriding the causativeness of all these people. They're now being the effect of him. Well, not necessarily. First of all, they're probably being the effect of something. <laughs> and that may not be their own decision and causativeness, or their causativeness is not creating a very desirous effect. Let's just put it that way, right? But listen to this interesting mechanic of what actually occurs. So he says here, quote, now, this is not necessarily contrary to the person being causative. Although you have made him a considerable effect, haven't you? But you have not made him a bad effect. So therefore, is to that degree acceptable to him. See, you're creating a positive effect on him. He is an effect, but it's a positive effect, and he can be agreeable about it. Like, yeah, yeah, let's all, let's all win, you know, let's all produce, let's all uh, achieve prosperity. You know, this is, oh, I can agree with that, you know. Man, that guy's got an impact, and yeah, it's kind of cool. Let's, let's win. So he says, so therefore, it's to that degree acceptable to him, so he can operate with that cause. It works just that way with a positive postulate if it's very successful. It's a matter of, you are a staff member, not, what a lousy staff member you are. Well, now that has its own thought. But you can just eradicate the second thought entirely and boost the, ah, you are a staff member, up. And you all of a sudden will build some very startling results, which will occasionally amaze even you, because you still care to believe that your better tricks are incredible. You see, Mr. Hubbard is still telling you, you, you may not believe this, 
because you still care to believe that your better tricks are incredible. They are incredible, but you can do this, okay? So there's your posture. Ah, you're a staff member, and it boosts the guy up. Not, what a lousy staff member you are. That's, you know where that's going to go. So he goes on to say this, quote, so you can do these tricks without believing they are incredible at all if you just do the tricks and not worry about them being incredible. Now, once in a while, you say, Ugh, and nothing happened. So, nothing happened. So, nothing happened. All right, great. That shouldn't stop you from saying, Woo. Do you see where he's going with this? Hey, you have a failure. You said, Ugh, something didn't happen. And nothing happened, rather. And then you say, but that shouldn't stop you from next time saying, Woo, and expecting something to happen. He says, listen now to what he says here. Now, a person who is failing, 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 I'm not adding any failings. These are all Mr. Hubbard's words. A person who is failing, 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 usually sets himself up to fail. He tries the impossible. Let's see if I can postulate. Well, here I am looking at the Empire State Building. Fall over. Didn't fall. Can't postulate. Proved it. See, he, he proves it to himself. See, I can't postulate. I, I postulate the Empire State Building falling over and didn't fall over, so I can't postulate. So there you are. Well, here's what Mr. Harper says. So what you set yourself up to do is to succeed in this life. But there isn't any worry about it. You see, if you were worrying about whether you were to, going to succeed or going to fail, there would already be doubt in the postulate and it wouldn't work anyway. See, Here's where worry is your enemy, because worry is doubt. You're worried about the outcome. I'm worried if this is going to work. I'm worried if we're going to make it. I'm worried about this or worried about that. Right there, you're, in terms of postulates, you're sunk, because you put a negative into the postulate. So he goes, and, but look, hey, sometimes you make a postulate, thing didn't go right. You didn't worry about it. But, oh, sure enough, we failed here. Does that mean you can't make a positive postulate for success? In a new unit of time? Of course it doesn't. But if you've convinced yourself, this just proves that I can't postulate, then of course you're, you're going down the rabbit hole, right? All right, so let's carry on with what he's saying here. So just don't bother to worry about it one way or the other. Don't worry about success or failure. But it's a terrific, terrifically strong weapon. It's big. It's much bigger than you think. Look, what we're covering in this podcast, when this episode today, is huge. If you really, really track with it. In fact, as I'm covering it with you, it reminds me how big this is. You know, this is something that we can all certainly work on. He goes on to say, you are in the business of handling people. You have to get their cooperation. The only thing which justifies the fact that you should get their cooperation and so forth is they really would be better for it. Nobody's trying to do them in. Their morale depends exclusively on whether or not they could respect themselves in their own eyes. Wow, that should be repeated. Their morale depends exclusively on whether or not they could respect themselves in their own eyes. And that depends exclusively on whether or not they can produce. And the cycles of action which they engage in, in complete and finish, without a bad conscience, determines their morale and their usefulness. 
there is nothing quite as pathetic in this universe as a useless man. Put that in letters of fire. There is nothing quite as pathetic in this universe as a useless man. Not all the soda fountains or luxuries or swimming pools or anything else will ever handle the morale to the degree of just good, honest production. And don't think that discipline will injure morale as long as it does not contain injustice. It builds it. Discipline builds morale. So Mr. Hubbard's saying here, as long as it doesn't contain injustice, if it does, you're, you're going down a bad road. But if it's just discipline, it's fair, people understand that, and you have the, the benefit of all in mind, and it's your postulates that everything's going to go great, and we're going to move it right along, then discipline has its place. All right, so that wraps up. This episode of Business Wise, uh, what we're calling Postulate Magic Part 2. Hope you enjoyed it. It probably is best understood if you listen to Postulate Magic Part 1. And then, of course, we introduced the subject as a special episode on New Year's. And uh, we had so many listeners and so many favorable comments about the that particular episode. We thought we would just do a little more digging on the subject and uh, relay that to you because we haven't really touched on it that much over the many episodes that we've we've uh, delivered so far in business wise we've never really had to repeat any content mr hubbard was so prolific in this subject that we seem to be continually able to find new basics and fundamentals as well as some more sophisticated information things that you need to improve your marketing and your finance and so on so uh we'll pick it up again next week I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and do please leave a comment. Give us a like if you liked it. And of course, as always, we welcome your emails at info at wiseeastus.org. Thank you for listening and we'll talk again next week.